every time I come in the kitchen, you in the kitchen, in the goddamn refrigerator. Yo, 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 welcome back everybody to the Morning Dinner Podcast. It's your boy Keem and Chuck. I'm just going to go ahead and do your intro. Uh, we, are, we are two Las Vegas-based creatives uh, and hustlers and entrepreneurs and, hustlers. and, and you know, all that, st- all, all that good stuff. And uh, we host a podcast out here in Vegas where we in, uh, interview and talk to and have conversations with other creatives and entrepreneurs. And today we have our friend, Luis Rosa. What up, what up? Well, you want to give yourself a little introduction, man, and tell hey, people what you, what you do and who you are? Yeah, my name is Luis Rosa. I'm a certified financial planner professional. Basically, I just help people achieve their goals, whatever those might be. So I work backwards. You tell me when you want to retire, when you want to buy the house, when you want to be debt free, mm-hmm. when you want to send your kids to college, and we just figure out what you need to do today to get there. That's I'll pretty find, much it. So your so your your title is a financial planner. That's right. What exactly does a financial planner do for somebody? So a financial planner sits down with you, goes over all your income, your assets, your liabilities, figures out what your goals are in life, and then figure out what you need to do today to achieve those goals in the future. Okay. Do you, now one of the common like misconceptions for hiring a financial planner is like so even people like me sometimes I, I think of a financial planner and I may think, well, you know what, dude, I've only got a thousand dollars in the bank. Like I don't really need a financial planner because I don't even know if I need one. Do like is there a certain amount of money one should have in the bank before you start investing or looking at a financial planner? Like what are some key tips that you can give me real quick? Yeah, you bring up a good point. Because a lot of people have that misconception, like, well, I don't have any money, so I can't hire a financial planner. Mm-hmm. And that's an industry fault, really, because a lot of financial planners cater to people that have money. And that's because of the, the way that the fee structure is uh, done. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. The fee structure. That sounds like where everybody makes their money right <laughs> sounds there. Like right. Commission. It sounds, it sounds, sounds like, like a, kickbacks. It sounds like a lawyer <laughs> legal thing right there, man. Yeah. Damn. Okay, so, wait, so a financial planner doesn't work based off like a commission like a, like a lawyer does or like how that would be set up, is it's completely different? Yeah, so that's a good question. So some do, there are two basic structures. One is fee only, you hear that term a lot, Yeah. which basically means I'm gonna charge you a fee to tell you what I think you should do uh-huh. going forward. And the good thing about that is that you can count on that being on buyers because if I'm charging you a fee, whether I tell you to do A, B, or C, it doesn't matter because I'm still making the same amount of money. Right. There are some financial planners that are commission-based and then it doesn't mean that they're doing anything wrong, but when you look at it from the client standpoint, you say, well, are you selling me this life insurance policy because you're going to make a commission on it? Or is it really because you think it's the best thing for me? Mm. You know, as opposed to me sitting here and say, look, I'm just going to charge you a fee to tell you what you need to do. I think you need a million dollar insurance policy, but I'm not selling you that policy. Just go see your insurance broker. Right. Mm. So okay. You- so, cause you had mentioned to me before the podcast, uh, something about being a fiduciary. That's right. Can you can you explain what that is? Because I, I looked it up, but I, I'm not 100% sure that I understood it. And I think you kind of touched on what it, what it is, right? Yeah. So there are two types of financial planners as well. In terms of the fee structure, the fiduciary means that I have a legal obligation to put your interests before mine. Okay. And do what's best for you, right? So it sounds common sense like, well, every financial planner should be a fiduciary, right? But in fact, they're not. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of financial planners that work for like a brokerage firm, for example, they're only held to the uh, they call it like uh, instead of fiduciary, they they call it where they have to do what's suitable for you. Mm-hmm. So something could be suitable for you, but not necessarily be in your best interest. Okay. Right? So a lot of broker dealers they might sell you an insurance policy or mutual fund or stock, 
make a commission on it, it was suitable for you, but it, it may not have been the best thing for you. Mm -hmm. So the fiduciary is one level up and saying, look, regardless of commissions or anything, I need to do what's in your best interest, mm -hmm. regardless of how much I'm going to make based on that. Okay. And that's a key distinction from when you look at it from a client standpoint. And how okay. do you get that exactly? Like how do you so get to that level? There, there are two ways. One is if you work for a registered investment advisor. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking up a financial plan, if you look at their website, this, if it says they're an RIA, registered investment advisor, they're by law required to be a fiduciary. The other one is if you see the marks that, for example, like the one I have, certified financial plan or CFP, you're automatically supposed to be acting in the client's best interest just okay. by having that certification. Oh, damn. Now, what, what does IRA stand for? Registered Investment Advisor. Registered Invest... Oh, RIA. I thought you said IRA. No, that's the like, that's a whole individual retirement account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I, talk I, about right. those. I think, I think we kind of... Uh, we, we forgot to answer the question where we're, somebody who's asking, you know, I've only got one, $2,000 saved up or whatever. It, should I... Do I need a financial advisor? Do I need someone to manage my money because it's not that much money? Should I get started uh, looking at somebody to help me with this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, financial planners can help you do, even if you don't have money, sometimes even if you have a whole bunch of debt, it's like, what is the best way to get out of debt? How should I pay these credit cards mm -hmm. and these student loans off? Mm -hmm. You might not be able to figure that out on your own. Financial planner can help you figure that out. Should I consolidate my student loans? Should I do a, a debt consolidation versus just paying off my credit cards one at a time? You know, things like that. Financial planner can help you with that. Mm -hmm. It's for really for everyday people. How am I going to send my kids to college? Uh, if I want to save for a house, you know, what's the best way to go about that? What type of loan should I get? Should I do FHA? Should I do a conventional? Mm -hmm. Things of that sort. So a financial planner could really bring some clarity to people that don't necessarily have a lot of money to invest. Mm, okay, that, that makes sense. Well, what was it that made you decide you wanted to become a financial planner? I feel like there is a, a lack of education when it comes to money. 100%, oh, yeah. Trillion like, percent. I hey, feel like can, it should Can I say real quick? Absolutely. Especially in the Hispanic and Latino community, dude. For especially real. and i know this firsthand because growing up we weren't taught a lot of things about money about money about debt about you know not owing about not having to pay installments or like you know monthly bills sorry i didn't mean to distract but yeah i i, I agree that there is a lack of financial education out there oh, yeah you sure. hit the nail right in the head but for growing sure. up my parents never had credit cards my parents never even owned a car so like I, I didn't know about car loans, credit cards, life insurance. Oh wow! If you ask my father today what a stock is or a bond is, he wouldn't know. Whoa! He just worked hard and did he just pay cash? <laughs> he just paid cash for everything. Uh, Real quick, did, did, he, did he have a bank account? He did have a bank okay. account because I because I have a grandpa who I don't, I still to this day like he's eighty six, eighty six or eighty seven. He does not have a bank account. <laughs> I don't think he's ever had he like just hustles. A, yeah, hard. he just yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah my grandpa had a shoebox. With the money in it. <laughs> he had all his money that's stuffed it. in the mattress. <laughs> okay, so 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 that's kind of what triggered you going like, I, I want to be different and I want to actually educate myself so that I can be better in the future? Yeah, because I noticed uh, when I came, I was born in the Dominican Republic, for those that you don't know. So mm -hmm. I came here when I was 11 to the United States. I had to learn English and then learn the culture and just learn the system here, right? So growing up in the Dominican Republic, it was all a cash-based system. My parents just worked hard and saved up for whatever they needed. They needed a new car, so they just saved up for it, put it on layaway, for example. So when we came here, they couldn't really teach us anything about applying for a credit card or a student loan, a car mm -hmm. loan, nothing. Like, we had to learn by trial and error. And I feel like in school, you didn't get a education as far as, not even how to balance a checkbook. Like, that was all new to me, right? Yeah. So you write it, <laughs> you have your bank account, you have this balance, in, but you forgot that you wrote a check two days ago. 
hasn't cleared. Well, that money that's available now isn't really available because that check is going to clear soon, right? Hey, so can, it, can you explain real quick well, what does it mean to balance a checkbook? So because I, I don't think I've ever I've even never done that. Balanced a checkbook. <laughs> or, or, or is that like a or is that like an old school thing where you needed to do that back in the day when you didn't have access to like bank accounts, ba- online or, banking? Yeah, online banking. That's true. People might look at it like check. What's a check, right? Yeah. So when you open up a bank account, usually you get a check register. Yeah. And you get checks. Mm-hmm. Right. So before the Internet, you will mail out your payment and write a check to people. Right. So to pay your electric, your cell phone, and you mm-hmm. put it in the mail, good old snail mail with a stamp. Now you do it online. So it's a little bit more faster. But sometimes those payments might take a few days. Right. So when you look at your bank account, say you have four thousand dollars in there and you just wrote your rent check. It might take two days before the landlord gets that check and cashes it. So you really don't have four thousand. If your rent was fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. you got really it. only have 25, mm-hmm. but you're looking at your bank account, oh, there's four grand in there, you know? And some people might just overspend and not realize and then end up overdrafting their accounts because of that. That makes sense. Damn. That happens still though, even even with online banking, you know? Because if you give somebody a check and they don't cash it, that money doesn't leave your account until then. And it's happened to me before and I'm like, oh, damn. Low key. I thought I had this much more. <laughs> I don't think I've, other than like rent, I don't like when I had to do this when I was living out in Cali. I don't think I've ever written somebody a check before, bro. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, and what's especially funny? and especially now, re- more recently in the right. last five or six years, it's always just Venmo me, PayPal yeah. me, or you know, Facebook Messenger, send me some money through there. And it was right. so yeah. funny because like this house, they they only accepted checks for some reason. They just made an online portal for it, but I was like. Yo, I don't even know how to write a check. Yo. Right. I had to look on the internet on Google. I was like, how to write a check? You got to pay for these? <laughs> right. You got to write down the whole number? I was like, what? I was like, all right. Routing uh, number, what's that? <laughs> what's that? Right. And you know, even in today's society, when we have Venmo and PayPal and all that, you still need to balance your check because a lot of us do auto draft, right? Mm. You might have your cell phone coming out directly out of your bank account like every 20th of the month and yep. your cable, things like that. And sometimes we tend to forget those auto drafts are coming. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that balance, you know, so basically balancing your book is just keeping track of, all right, I have this balance, but I also have these checks or auto drives that are coming due. Mm. So, you know, your true balance before you write a check or take money out. You see, I, I do like a lightweight version of that yeah. where, where I basically um, I have like a spreadsheet with how much everything is due on each month. So I know roughly like based on what day of the month it is. I should have this much in my bank account to cover everything because it, it is like you said, sometimes you don't notice like, yeah, you might have a thousand dollars, but here comes a couple bills that add up to 1200, you know, and the next thing you know, you're overdrafting right. and all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dang. So we, so balancing your checkbook is still necessary. You think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to use a physical register. If you could use a spreadsheet or an app, that's yeah. fine. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of apps there, like mint, for example. Oh, mint bills. Yeah. I use that. Yeah. I use that. Yeah. You know what? That's actually going to tie into a, another question that I, I had for you. Um, and it, it was going to come down a little bit down the road. But it, since we pull it up now, why not? Why not ask it out of the way? Um, how do you feel about apps like like Mint or like um, what's it called? Albert. 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 There's a web. There's an app called Albert that allows you to like it's not a financial planner, but it, it does tell you like when you're spending too much or when you should cut back. It helps you set goals for how much you should save if you want to have a goal. Let's say I want to I want to buy my niece a birthday present and it's in two months. It'll help me like make little goals so like, OK, you should put away this much every paycheck to kind of help you save up for that. How do you feel about those? Do you think those kinds of apps are are, are kind of tackling the field that you work in or do you feel like they're they're good? They're good for people. No, I think they're good for people. Yeah, I, I refer people to a lot of apps myself because they serve a purpose, you know, mm-hmm. in the financial plan, 
budgeting, for example, is just one aspect of it. So if you can find an app that helps you keep, keep on track, track yeah. then yeah, it's going to just be more successful for your plans. Cause I, I don't know something about me with like, I, I, I download all those apps. I just couldn't, I didn't like them. I was like, I like typing it into my own spreadsheet right. and I can like literally see. So I know, and I, it's also just better for me because it uh, keeps me in routine. Like I'm finally starting to save my, all my checks and everything and my receipts and taking photos. So I'm just trying to get into that because I don't know. Sometimes I, I'd be giving money to my mom or something. And it's like, oh, you overspent. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. No, I'm giving. Yeah, because you didn't plan that's, on Yeah, on that's gifting that money. money yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, so so let's talk about that then. Do you think somebody like a, a creative person as far as like a photographer or somebody who runs their own business, they should definitely have a financial planner? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the major things I see with people that are self-employed is that they forget to send tax estimates. Ooh, during yeah. like the, so you end up till the end of the year, you get your 1099s, right? From a yep. whole bunch of different contractors. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, holy moly. Yeah. I owe this money in taxes. So one of the things I do with people is figure out an estimate of how much money they're going to make at least quarterly and then send a chunk of that to the IRS. So that way, when you go to file, you don't have this huge tax bill at the end of the year. Mm. Okay. It's, so it's basically like paying taxes, but instead of doing it at the, in one year, you do it four times a year. Right. So you estimate like, okay, well, let's say I average $3,000 every three months or four months or whatever it is, then you would tax that amount and you would withhold that amount. And then would you send it to the IRS then or would you send it at the end of the year? Yeah, you send it quarterly. So you can actually go on the IRS.gov and, and make a payment. Right okay. then and there. Because when you get that 1099, right, you're not getting taxed on your money yeah, yeah. as a self-employed person. So I say, you know what, don't wait till the end of the year. Because if you put it aside, you're probably going to spend it on something, right? Marketing, whatever. Yeah. So yeah just true. take Easily. like 25% of what you make, put it aside every quarter. Yeah. And just send that check into the IRS. Or, you know, go online and <laughs> pay yeah. it. I was watching uh, Dave Ramsey the other day. And he mentioned how, <clears throat> man, my voice is like cracking up. Um, he mentioned how people essentially spend more money nowadays using a debit card than they used to back in the day spending cash right and the mentality behind that is that when you give somebody cash let's say you're at a restaurant and the the, the total is twenty dollars plus tips so you give them twenty dollars 25 bucks you that money paper is not going to come back to you but if you give them a debit card that money that debit card they, it will come back to you right like they will bring it back and you will have it so you, there used to be this mentality of like okay i'm going to give you twenty dollars and in, in exchange for this food or for that for those shoes, now it's like you're giving them plastic, and at the end of the day you get the shoes and you also get your plastic back. Right. So people, I I think there's like a it's crazy like study. Yeah. It's a psychology thing, but there is a study that says people spend on average, um, sixty to seventy percent more at fast food restaurants. It's because easy of that. too because you just yeah slide your card yeah, see, especially yeah. if it's credit cards yeah. it's just like oop, yeah don't even have to like type I, in a pin code as it's opposed like, to having carrying around like you know a stack of bills and then you're like okay now you're gonna you you know that when you give some of that money that you're not gonna get those bills right. back you know so yeah so it's definitely a whole psychology uh let, let, let's talk about real quick um people who have regular jobs they're not creative people they're more you know they're working a 95 job or maybe they have two jobs their job sometimes gives them a 401k can you explain what a 401k is to somebody out there who doesn't know yeah, who, who maybe is already enrolled in one but they just don't know right well if you think about it people back in the day used to work one job retire with a pension right and and that's it so like they work for either the fire department police department whatever so there's still some folks that do get a pension if you work for the government for example right mm -hmm. military now, is a pension different than a 401k yeah pension's different because the pension is going to be a monthly check for the rest of your life once you retire Right. Mm -hmm. The 401k is money that you're putting away yourself. 
okay. in lieu of a pension, right? right. Because the, the employer is no longer saying, look, when you retire, we're going to guarantee you money for the rest of your life. They're just saying, hey, here you go. Here's a portion of what you already gave us. Right. And that's it. Whatever you have at the end of the, the whatever work time frame you worked, then that's all you get, right? So real so, quick, a 401, 401, what is it? 401k? 401k. Is uh, basically a savings account. Yeah, it's a, it's a savings account for your retirement. The advantage of it is that you get to put money in there pre-tax. So for example, oh, got it. if you make 60000 a year and you put 5000 in your 401k, you're only going to get taxed on 55 k because the government wants to incentivize you to save. So whatever you put in your 401k, you're not going to get taxed on today. But it is a tax ticking time bomb because it's tax deferred, not tax free. So when you retire, whatever you have in there and you take out, then it's going to get taxed at your tax bracket then. Wait, 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 but but so, because I'm going through this right now where I have a 401k, and it says that if you withdraw early, they charge you, first, they charge you penalties, and then second of all, they charge you the taxes of whatever the tax rate is, but they say it's it's not supposed to be tax-free after 59 and a half, so, wait, so you're saying they do charge you taxes after 59 and a half? That's right, so you could never escape the taxes, right? So the only thing you could is after 59 and a half, you don't get hit with that 10% penalty. So if you quit a job and you take that 401k, you take the money out before you're 59 and a half, you're going to pay income taxes plus a 10% penalty, right? If you wait until 59 and a half, they waive the penalty, but you still got to pay income tax. Mm. So you got to figure out, do I want to pay taxes on the seed or do I want to pay taxes on the harvest, right? So because there are other ways of saving where you can pay with after-tax money, like a Roth IRA, for example. Okay. Yeah, it's I was the about opposite. to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. That was going to be the next question. <laughs> so, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about it. But so if you have a 401k, the first thing you want to figure out is, does my employer match my contributions, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they do, then you want to contribute at least that amount. So, for example, when you first get hired, they tell you, look, we have a 401k and we match dollar for dollar up to 5% of your base pay. Right. So that means if you put in $100, your employer is going to put another $100. That's a dream. Yeah. That's so nice. if you do have that matching capability in your 401k, you want to contribute at least up to the matching amount because it's free money, right? Yeah. And then usually there's a period where that money becomes yours. It's called vesting. So you would see, oh, it's a two-year vesting. All that means is that after two years of working there, if you leave, you can take all that money with you. Mm. If you leave the, the contributions from the employer, your contributions are always yours to keep. You could always roll them over to a new IRA or a new employer 401k. Oh, okay. Now, th those follow you to any job that you might have in the future. All you need to do is pull up your social security number? Yeah, just usually provide them with a most recent statement okay. and you can roll it over into the new employer's oh, 401k. Okay. So just know. so everybody out there who's listening who doesn't know what rollover means, it means if you have a 401k with your current job and then you go work somewhere else, you can roll over the balance of what you have in that 401k to your new job, right? Because that account will no longer, it won't be your current account. You'll now start investing into a new account. Now, why would somebody want to roll over? Would it be just to uh, just so they can have all their money in one place, or or do, do people need to roll over? Or can they keep it in that account, or what? Do yeah, you they don't necessarily need to roll over. It depends on the employer. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Sometimes some employers, if you leave, they allow you to keep the four hundred one k with the custodian, right? Uh -huh. So that the, whatever company that was that was managing it. But there are fees involved. So sometimes if the fees are too high, you're probably oh. better off rolling it over. Yeah. Mm. If or sometimes they just don't give you an option. Say, look, you have 60 days after your unemployment with us. You got to roll it over. So you have two options. One is roll it over to a 401k of a new employer, right? That that does not create a taxable event. So that's the good thing about it. You could just literally transfer the money from one party to the other without incurring tax. Usually, you want the companies to do it directly so that the money never hits your bank account because mm -hmm. then you're triggering a tax event. Well, now oh, the money. If it. you do take the money out with you, 
you still have 60 days to roll it over. Mm -hmm. And you could do that once every 12 month period, but you run the risk of, you know, perhaps dipping into it a little bit, right? Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. some plans require 20% automatic withholding. So if you had 10K, they might only send you eight. Mm -hmm. And now if you only roll over the eight, you're gonna have a $2,000 tax liability, right? Yeah. Income. So yeah. it's better that you just do a direct transfer okay. from one Got to it. the other. Good so the other thing you could do, if, you, if you're not rolling it over to another employer, you can open up your own IRA at whatever bank and institution or uh, if you open up a brokerage IRA somewhere, you now, can roll that over into your own IRA. Now, an IRA is an investment retirement account? It's an individual retirement account. Individual retirement account. Is the same thing as a 401k, except it's not provided by your job? Correct, yeah. In essence, the same, pretty much, uh, so most of the rules are the same. There are some exceptions that are more advantageous in an IRA. For example, let's say you want to buy a house. If you have money in an IRA and you take it out before you're 15 on a house for oh. home purchase, they'll waive the 10% penalty. Mm. for that home purchase. Or let's say you're going to college, you can take the money from the IRA and not pay the penalty. You still got to pay income tax on it though. Oh, but yeah. it waives that 10%. You know, and 10,000 is a thousand bucks. Real quick, Chuck, do you think we can move his microphone real quick? Yeah. I think uh, just a little bit higher. A little bit higher. <clears throat> yeah, just a little bit higher. Right there. Uh, How's that? A little bit higher. <laughs> I don't think it's going <laughs> up any bit. It's strong. Do you mind just real quick? Uh, you see that metal thing right there? Just un like loosen it up real quick. Wait, higher? Yeah. Bro. I want that microphone more in front of his mouth because I'm okay. getting a little bit of echo in the room because oh, okay. he's a little bit, he's like up here. Oh, How's so that? Yeah, right there's perfect. That's good. Right there's perfect. All right. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. Okay, perfect. Cool. Sorry. Not so good. <laughs> I just want everybody to make sure they have the most pristine audio. Yeah. Because this, yeah, this sure. is really good knowledge. So, go, um, yeah. So, going back to IRA and all that. Um, uh, how many different types of mutual funds are there out there? Oh, there are thousands and thousands oh, of mutual damn. funds. Yeah, absolutely. Or is a mutual fund the same thing as a 401k? No, so the 401k is just the vehicle, right? Uh, the mutual fund is going to be what you actually put your money into. So once you have a 401k, usually your job is going to give you with a menu pretty much of saying, look, these are the, the 30 different mutual funds that you can put your money into. Okay. And what a mutual fund is, is basically uh, uh, pooled funds. So, for example, instead of buying an individual stock, let's say you want to invest in technology. Yeah. Instead of buying, say, AT&T stock, you can buy a technology mutual fund that has 30 stocks. So, it might already have Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, Google, oh. Amazon, right? So, you're diversifying your money within that pool of funds. So, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Okay. This is a really big rabbit hole. And I feel like before we even talk about that, I think we should maybe attack when people put money into the 401k or the Roth IRA, what is happening to that money? Because it's not just a bank account that's just sitting and not doing anything, right? Right. That money's being invested into stocks, bonds, and what was the other one? Wait, 401k does the same 401K thing? 401k yeah. does the same thing, okay. yeah. So Good stocks, bonds, and something else. Yeah, stocks, bonds, real estate, international <clears throat> okay. stocks. Mm -hmm. So so people's money is then getting inv invested. So is it possible that if somebody, let's say somebody's working somewhere for three years, they have twelve thousand dollars in their 401k is it possible that that amount goes up and down depending on how the market's doing absolutely yeah so you can earn or lose money in it depending really? on how you invested it yeah some some of the 401ks usually will give you a safe option yeah so you have all your money in a fund that maybe just makes a little bit of interest kind of like the bank yeah but you're not invested mm -hmm. most of the time though you're gonna get a list of at least 30 mutual funds that you can put your money in that that's gonna vary between stocks bonds real estate mm -hmm. so it's gonna fluctuate with the market now is the is the is the default for everybody like 90 percent stocks 10 percent bonds or something like that well no you get to choose that okay. usually once you start a 401k they give you an option of 
all these funds. A lot of the times you don't get guidance necessarily. It's just, hey, here, here's a menu. And, and again, that's where like a financial planner can help uh, you and say, yeah. look, based on your age, your risk factors and things like that, this is how much stock or bonds you should have mm-hmm. in your portfolio. Yeah. So is it better, that, like depending on your situation, you might want to invest more into stocks than bonds? Yeah. So typically the younger you are and the more time you have between today and your retirement date. Just do 100% stocks. <laughs> High risk. <laughs> you you want to be diversified even if you're going to be aggressive. Right. You do want to have a little bit of bonds and, and stocks and uh-huh. things that are not necessarily tied to the U.S. market, for example, international stocks and things like that because not everything goes up or down at the same time. Uh-huh. So you want to have... So just to give you an example, if you go 100% stocks and you have $10,000 and the market goes down 50%, Ooh, you you're just... down to $5,000, right? Right, right. How much of a percentage would you need if you have 5,000 to go back up to the 10,000 you had, mm-hmm. 100%, right? So if you had 10,000 and you lost 50%, you're down to five. Yeah. But if you have five and you want to go up to 10, you need a 100% return. Right, so it's, it's even riskier. Uh, right, so dang. you want to be diversified because if you have all your eggs in one basket, yep. yeah. it's going to be a lot harder to get back up there. Right, and, and that's something that even though we're not super, super financially smart about things, we know diversifying your money is always a good way to, you know, that way in case something doesn't happen or something crashes, you're not completely screwed out of your money, yeah, right? Yeah, because you didn't put right. everything. Right, right. Into- right, so if the market's down 50, maybe you'll be down 20. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So 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 going back to the 401k then should people cuz everybody gets auto enrolled into a 401k and do people need to have that option when they have a job or can they opt out of a 401k and then do their own? Yeah, 401k? you can opt out. So most employers will automatically opt you in. Usually you have a 45-day period. Yeah. 60 days, you know, depending on the employer to go in and opt out of that 401k. Now every year you can opt out. You can opt out uh initially when you first do it and then you just never be in it. And then if you decide to go in it later, yeah, you, you have that option of always opting out. Right. But, 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 it, okay. So then if you start a job and then you opt in, let's say three years on the road, you want to opt out of it. Can you do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so that's hit. always it's yeah. something to consider. What I tell people is, look, if you're getting some type of match from your employer, mm-hmm. then you want to invest at least that much because then for every $200 you're putting in, they might be putting in another 200, right? So take advantage of that free money, especially if you plan on being there long enough. So so you mentioned there were thousands of mutual funds in a 401k when you start picking out what you want. Um, what What is some advice that helps somebody pick a good one? Yeah, well, in the 401k, you're going to be a little bit more limited because uh-huh. when they're designed, you usually get just a menu of maybe 30 mutual funds or so. So it's a little easier to choose. When you open up your own IRA, then you just have every mutual fund available out there. Okay. So... When you have a mutual fund inside the 401k, you're going to have maybe just probably about 30 choices, which is still a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out what percentage you want in bonds, stocks, and all that. Okay. So normally, if you don't have a financial planner, what I recommend that people do, one of the mutual funds that are usually available in 401ks, they're target date funds, which are based on a a year of retirement. So for example, let's say you want to retire in the year 2050 or close to it, more or less, give a few years there's probably going to be a target retirement fund 2050 in that mutual fund. Mm-hmm. So you just put your money in there. It might be like 80% stock, 20% bonds at the beginning. And as you get closer to the year 2050, it's going to automatically rebalance itself to become more and more conservative, sell the stocks. So, oh, wow, so, so is that like an index fund then? Yeah, it'll be like an okay. index fund. So that's a good way of going about it because now you, it takes the guesswork out of it for you. You yeah. just put it in one thing and the mutual fund is going to rebalance itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to get more conservative as you get right. closer. 
Wait, did she? Now I sound smart because that's an index fund. Ah. <laughs> so an index, an index fund, basically, I ruined everything. George's yeah. <laughs> so an index fund basically takes your money and rebalances depending on how the market's doing. Yeah. So if you buy a straight index fund, yeah, you're gonna let's say you buy an S and P 500 index fund. The S and P 500 usually has about 500 or so stocks. Usually the major stocks in the U.S. So you're gonna get the full brunt of the market up and down. So it's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Right. So the target date fund might have a combination of index funds, but it's going to be diversified so that it might be like 80% stock, 20% bond. So it might have mm -hmm. two index funds in there, or maybe three or four. Mm -hmm. So that you're investing some like in international, some in the U.S. stock, some in bonds. So you're yeah. not all in, in just the S&P 500, for example. All right. What about cryptocurrencies? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> you, know I, you know I had to bring it up. I knew that up. was coming. I had to bring it up. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Look, <laughs> cryptocurrencies right now, the only way you can make money is if somebody else is willing to pay higher than you did for it. Right. Right. Yep. Because there's really nothing behind it. Like if I were to give you an actual Bitcoin, if one even exists, what's it worth? Right. Mm -hmm. Usually when you buy a stock, there's a company behind it selling a product, making profits with employees and stuff. Right. Right. So every quarter or so, they're going to have some sort of profitability that you can count on. Right. That you can track whether it's up or down. But cryptocurrency, like what is it? Right. There's have, no really backing behind it. Have you ever heard of a company called VeChain? I have not. No. Okay, so there, there's this company called VeChain who uses blockchain technology, uh, and they have their own cryptocurrency called VET. Uh, and basically, what it does is they actually do create a physical product. Right. So what they're looking to do is 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 essentially put blockchain into retail, retail, which is the wine industry, uh, uh, clothes, car, uh, car industry. So they want to put blockchain into all these things. Gotcha. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm looking into right now. And they're actually really like. It's really interesting. I don't want to get too into it because, but I just, I do want to say that there are some companies, companies out there. There are thousands, thousands. And a lot of them, yeah. I would say 90, 95% of them are just garbage, but there's a lot of companies out there who, who are doing things, but yeah, it, I'll agree with you when you say it's very risky and it's very volatile. And if you're not, and I, this is what I always say is never invest more than what you're willing to lose. That's great advice. And that's one of the things I tell my clients. Look, let's not put your retirement savings to this, but yeah, yeah. you want to buy $2,000 worth of, you know, Bitcoin, whatever, knock yourself out, right? Just right. open up a separate account, but let's not put like all your Roth IRA funds into yeah. it. Yeah. So what's your, what's your ratio for like percentage wise when it comes to your income per year and putting it, it like, um, in terms of investment? Yeah. Yeah. I usually tell people at least on the low one, you want to save 10% of your money. 10%. Right? Because if you think about it, if taxes went up 10% today, you're probably just going to pay them, right? Because mm -hmm. you have no choice. You just live yeah. with, the, with the less money, right? So I feel like pay yourself first. Just take 10% out of your income, immediately put that away, whether it's 401k, Roth IRA, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the other 90, pay your taxes and, and do the spending. Got it. So 10% goes into, because I already, already have, I think it's 5% of my, of my actual paycheck goes to my 401k but then i try to take out at least like a like 10 percent of it uh well chuck i thought you used to tell me like 20 20 or 30 percent what of uh 20 30 percent of your income you should be investing i can't remember what i said yeah i just well, kept a lot that's well, a good number yeah. Well, yeah. I 20. <laughs> yeah, I, well yeah i mean the thing is too like you should also do it accordingly like if you if you make a certain amount of money and your expenses are very low why not right right uh but uh, then again if you have a ton of bills and you're left with a hundred twenty dollars in your bank account at the end of the month you should probably not do that right <laughs> <laughs> okay so so let, let's so I, we kind of dodged we kind of went through this question but like is there an age that somebody should be thinking about getting a financial planner to start investing 
is there like is there like an age limit like does someone need to be 18 to hire a financial advisor or planner no no there's really no age limit i mean you can start whenever but what i usually say base it on your goals right so mm. a lot of people don't necessarily need a financial planner they might just be in cruise control you know they're they're working putting money in the 401k they have no debt mm -hmm. and they're just saving money that's fine you know right but once you get changes like a new job even people that are young they just graduated and it's like all right what, what is a 401k what is matching yeah right <laughs> mm -hmm. what funds should i choose right right so a lot of those things you're not going to get any guidance from so it's better to hire somebody that at least is going to give you an unbiased opinion right mm -hmm. so i usually base it more on your goals or any life change that you have like, can we can we name some examples of goals that maybe the common person might might have yeah absolutely like like say a newlyweds, they're like, we want to have kids in the next two years and then buy our first house. So now we got to figure out, well, how much of your income is going to go towards those two goals, depending on how much you make and your time frame, mm -hmm. right? Are we going to put 5% down on that house? Are we going to do 20% down? Should we put 20% down, right? Um, how much do we need to send our kids to college 18 years from now, if you already have kids, right? Th these are the kinds of things that everyday people need to figure out and a lot of the times you just don't get, don't get any guidance from it even retirement sometimes we don't think about it especially when we're young you know if you're in your 20s you're like man I, no retirement yeah, sounds yeah, like that's uh, like the last thing yeah. in your mind. It, like it's never gonna happen <laughs> you know but it's one if it's one thing i learned is time doesn't slow down yeah. for anybody and it creeps right. up real fast it creeps so. up real fast and next thing you know you're 28 you're like okay what's a 401k again <laughs> right I need another. A lot of us, unless you're like a cop, fireman, or you work for a state or a county or something, we're not going to have a pension that's a guaranteed income. Right. So we need to, on our own, create our own pension, our own pensions, right? Our own golden goose is going to have a big enough lump sum that we can draw money out of. Because you don't want to live on Social Security alone, right? Oh, no, yeah. Like my parents live on Social Security, right? And I've seen it like, yeah, they, they can eat, right? But they can't drive a nicer car or, or go out on a whole bunch of trips because it's not going to allow them to, to, to basically move up higher, faster, you know what I mean? Like get right. a better car, but get a bigger house. Yeah, they're going to be basically going to flat line yeah. right. at that point. That's yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I will, I've always felt about retirement is like, I've never been one that wanted to retire because I'm, first of all, I'm addicted to like working and doing things. I couldn't imagine just sitting down doing nothing all the time. Um, but I mean, it's just like, I don't know about you, Chuck, but my, my whole thing with that is, I just want a good amount of money when I get older, just right. not only for me, because I know I'm going to have kids one day, and I want to take care of my mom and dad. I want to nice. take care of my brothers if they need help, or just anybody around me. And yeah, I just want to have be, live comfortable and still work every day, because like him, I, I don't like chilling. Right. You know what I mean? I want to <laughs> try to work as much as I can, because it's just fun. But I still want to travel as well. Yeah, I think I think it's good. It's good information for somebody to to have a financial planner, just because. And I'm gonna look into like I'm, I might actually be hitting you up right after this, yeah. uh, just, just because. It's, I mean, I always I've always thought in the back of my head that having a financial planner is a luxury. It's kind of like you you need to be first of all you need to be making tens of thousands of dollars a month to have somebody that's even interested in looking at your money. Cause I, how do financial planners get paid? Like, is, is it based on percentage? Is it based on a monthly commission? Like how, how does that, how does all that work? Yeah. So there are two types of ways that financial planners get paid. The traditional planner that you think about when you think of a financial planner usually manages money for a living. Yeah. Right. So they charge on average about 1% of whatever assets they're managing. So for example, if I manage somebody's half a million dollar portfolio, right, IRAs or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm gonna make $5,000 a year from that person, right, 1% a year. So a lot of planners, what they do is they provide financial planning 
for those types of clients mm -hmm. in order to get those assets under management because it's going to be a recurring fee every year, right? Right. So ultimately, if I manage $20 million and I'm charging 1%, I'm making $200,000 a year, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of planners, because of that structure, they don't want to talk to the guy that has $10,000 because, you know, 1% is only $100. So mm -hmm. I don't want to make $100 a year. Right. I'd rather talk to the guy that has a half a million, right? Right. So a lot of people that are regular working blue collar people that don't have half a million miss out on all that planning. But now there's a lot of young financial planners that are working with people based on a fee as opposed to based on a percentage of your assets under management. Mm -hmm. So some people charge an upfront fee, like it could be say $1,500 to put a plan together, right? Mm -hmm. Some others do it in a subscription style mm -hmm. every month. So you could be like, you know, $500 upfront and 75 a month, you know? So depending on the planner, they'll work with you based on a fee. So that way you don't have to have money investing necessarily. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people make money, but they don't have the assets yet. Right. Right. So you could still hire a planner even if you don't have the lump sum to invest. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I would imagine though, what if you're somebody who does have like a $5 million asset and they're like, oh no, I want to pay $75 a month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you imagine somebody doing that? That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> uh, but okay. So how, how does one, how does one assume they're, 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 is, is that when, when you meant like they're, 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 they're total assets do you mean like their um their net worth is is that what you're getting the percentage are the, you know a financial planner will be getting their percentages off of is it like their entire net worth or when you said their assets do you mean like how much they have in their account sitting like ready to cash out yeah so that's a very good question it depends on the planner some planners charge a fee based on their net worth uh -huh. yeah and some planners charge a fee based on the assets that they actually manage for the client now when you say assets what do you like what, what does that mean to the common joe so that would be let's say you have an ira mm -hmm. right or you have money to invest because you, you had an inheritance or you just saved up a whole bunch of money in, yeah. in a mutual fund or something uh so a lot of the times the financial advisor would want to get those assets to manage under their umbrella mm -hmm. and then charge you like the 1% fee or so. Now that's 1% every year? Every year, right. Okay. Got it. So now would it be the responsibility of the financial planner to help them grow that money as much as possible? Right. Be I, I would imagine it would be in their financial planner's best interest, right? Because if like, let's say you can, you can increase, I don't know how it all works, but like if you can increase that $500,000 to a million, then your fee next year would be... A right. bigger percentage, right? Then yeah, then I'll be making ten thousand instead of five. So right. the interest would be aligned because then if I'm charging you a fee based on how much money you have, yeah, I want to grow those assets mm -hmm. because then the more you have, the more I make. Now, cool. when 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 you say you uh, the financial planner charges a fee, do you charge that like to the client as far as like get, take that money out of your bank account or do you take it out of the assets? The the common way of doing it is coming out of the assets. Coming out of the assets. Yeah. Okay. So you'll just see when you get your statement, you'll see like all right, beginning balance fifty thousand, and then it'll see uh, like the, the whatever comes out, it'll be like advisory fee, et cetera, mm -hmm. and then oh, yeah, and the yeah. balance. And a financial planner doesn't get charged those penalty fees for withdrawing from that account. No. Wow. That's tight. Loopholes. <laughs> I'm gonna become a financial planner, guys. <laughs> it's That's interesting. interesting, man. I mean, I did want to go back to one thing, and uh, sure. I just want to get your thoughts on it. Um. So there's a difference between a mutual fund. I mean, uh, just a regular IRA. Wait, wait. Is it Roth IRA? Yeah. So the Roth IRA, it's kind of opposite to what we've been talking about with the 401ks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You pay into it with after-tax dollars. So right now, the current limit for IRA contributions is 5500 a year yep. or 6500 if you're age 50 or older. They let you do a $1,000 catch-up. So the way it works is you get paid... You 
pay your payroll taxes on it. Then you contribute that after-tax dollars into your your Roth. Roth. And the good thing about it is that that money now gets to grow tax-free. If you hold it for at least five years after age 59 and a half, whatever that account has, you can withdraw it all tax-free. Your money's always tax-free, but the growth- The growth, the gains. The gains will it. also be tax-free if you hold it for that period and wait until 59 and a half, as opposed to the IRA or the 401k where you're going to pay taxes at an ordinary income. Right. Now, when you say gains, you're talking about capital gains? Yeah, like whatever. Yeah. So when you invest it, whatever growth you have, capital gains, dividends. Now, how how would the money grow? Is Does it grow with the market? Is it like- with Yeah, the, what's with like the, the normal percentage? For like it depends on like what that. you invest it, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to have the same options, actually more in a Roth, because if you have a Roth IRA, you're probably going to have it with, let's say, a Fidelity or Schwab or, or E-Trade or whoever. Uh-huh. You have access to- pretty much every mutual fund or stock out there. You can buy Apple, right? right. You can't do that in your 401k because usually you're limited to that menu. So it right. depends on what you invested in. Right. So in any tips, would you just let the person like uh, who does Roth IRAs handle all that? Or as a person, should you pick all those? Right. So you can open up a Roth IRA, let's say, with a brokerage account. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of those, right? Fidelity, whatever, right? Usually you don't get an advisor with those. They mm-hmm. just try charge you a commission based on trades. So you buy your own stuff. A lot of people will buy it, right? And they just like put money in Facebook and Yeah, they, they download yeah. the Robinhood app. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So you can do that, do it on your own and just pay a commission based on whatever you buy and sell. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't like buying and selling, you can also hire somebody like an advisor that's going to charge you 1% a year and then they're going to choose the investments for you mm-hmm. and put them into a portfolio based on the conversations that you have, your, your risk factors and stuff. If you don't have somebody like that or don't want to pay that fee, I always recommend that you buy like the index funds that we were talking about. Yeah. The ones I recommend usually, there are two. You can do either a target date fund that based on a retirement date, like a 2050 fund, for example. So right. it's, it's going to invest as if you need the money in the year 2050. Right. right. So you don't have to worry about it. You just buy that one thing. Mm-hmm. It might have six funds in there. It's going to rebalance itself as you get closer. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy what they call a target risk. So let's say you decide, look, I want to have 80% stock, 20% bond. There's a target risk fund out there that invests 80, 20 all the time. Mm-hmm. So you just put your money in that one fund and it's always going to buy and sell within it to always be more, more or less at the 80, 20. So you don't have to worry about, you know, it takes the guesswork and also the emotion out of it right Oh wow. because if you do it on your own if you think about it if you want to be 80 percent stock 20 percent bond and the stock market is doing well and now you're at 90 percent stock 10 percent bonds right because the stock went up right you have to sell the stuff that's doing good yeah, yeah. right uh, and as a human being you probably don't want to yeah. do that you're like yeah, i'm gonna just no. hold on to this just- damn emotions <laughs> <laughs> i saw people get wrecked yeah. right <laughs> the, the fomo so so, so 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 when you say like a target fund it's is this like a group of people who are predetermined to retire by a certain year and that's what that fund goes into right so uh-huh. it, it's going to invest the money as if you're going to retire based on that date mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to hold it until then you could always sell it right before then you know yeah but when you initially purchase it if you buy let's say a 2050 fund it's going to invest as if you need the money in 2050 so you have say 32 years from today so it's going to be mostly aggressive because the way it's going to be invested is as if you don't need to touch that money for 32 years so you're probably mm-hmm. going to have at least 80 percent stock in that particular fund but as you get closer the fund is going to get more and more conservative so in right. the year 20 because you don't want to be as risky right ah so i just want to say another thing too because um you mutual funds are based off the market correct yeah so if let's just say a recession happens or the market crashes i don't know how to really explain it 
would that affect you long term or short term or it's completely dependent on like like yeah the basically the market like, yeah absolutely yeah so you can open up your statement and you have a loss in your portfolio because depending yeah. on on what you invested in for sure yeah I've, I've logged into my 401k and i've seen sometimes like, it, like i've seen the red the red markers where right. it feels like negative like this oh so much damn you lost. that's yeah. crazy yeah but it's yeah. It, but it's be, it's super conservative like it's not even even at, it's at 90 90 10 i think okay. it is well that's and, aggressive yeah that's aggressive man <laughs> and even then like it, 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 does, it hasn't i haven't lost that much right but it, we've also haven't been through a huge huge decline in the market right if yeah. you, you if know? you had that same portfolio in 2008 yeah. you oh, probably would have lost close to half of it. yeah yeah Damn, 47 percent or so i might be rebalancing some. yeah so <laughs> that's one of the things that you know based on your question what happens is if you have a 401k let's say like in your case 90 10 yeah you open up your statement and the market is down and you're down you know five ten thousand dollars right i don't even want to look at it right now so <laughs> At that point, right, you lost money in your portfolio, but you don't make that loss real. Like, you don't realize that loss until you actually sell, right? Right. So, if you panic at that point and say, look, I can't stand this. I'm going to sell that fund and go into the conservative fund. Well, now you really made that loss real. Yeah. Because uh, you, yep. you lost that money for yeah, good, right? For sure. So, if you had, say, you know, $10,000 in your 401k and it's down to eight, and then you sell and you put the $8,000 that you have left conservative, Right. When the market goes back up, you're going to get a percentage based on the eight, not on the 10, because oh, okay. you already made that decision to sell, right? So a lot of the times, yeah, if you have a goal that's like retirement and it's a very long-term goal, long term, you should be able to ride out the market, you know, it'll balance, right. up, balance back out. Yeah, historically has, you know, so normally if you have long-term money, it's okay to take a little bit more risk than, than let's say if you have money for a down payment and you're putting it in the market probably not a good idea because you could be down in two months and yeah. now your 30,000 down payment is down to, you know, 22 yeah. and you don't have money for closing goals, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always say about, about crypto, man, is like, and you put it in there, you're putting it in there for a whole, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> because like, like I said, like, look at how Bitcoin went from $20,000 in December to where it's at, what, 6,200 right, right now? It's gone yeah. down. It's lost. And that could happen from Friday to Monday, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, and and in the same reverse, it could go up the same way, right? So that's the big risk. The only thing is, we don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, so that's why I always say, like, whenever something goes down, I don't. I try not to stress it too much because I know it's got. People need to get into the mindset of it's going to be a long term. You know, the more risk you put into it, the more your mindset should be that I'm not going to cash this out anytime soon. Right. You know, unless the next day it. it triples all right cash it out <laughs> but you know if that's not the case most likely you're gonna see it go up and down go up and down and you shouldn't try to play that game of like okay i'm gonna try to you know play the market and see if i can cash out if it right, goes yeah. up if it goes up two percent cash out and then wait for it to dip three percent like it, <laughs> that's that, that penny stocks man oh, that, that's that day trading man I right mean, yeah, i mean i mean crazy. there's definitely a, there's definitely a market for it if you know how to do it but if you're if you're not like if you're not well versed in day trading i don't think you should do it yeah agreed yeah and Agreed. once again, don't be too emotional when it comes yeah. to that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta yeah. learn to let go. Do, do, like, no. do you subscribe to uh, to Dave Ramsey's thought that uh, you shouldn't invest until you've canceled out all debt? No, actually, I do not. There's a lot of stuff from Dave Ramsey that I do like, uh -huh. like his budgeting system. Yeah, but that particular aspect, I don't feel like you should wait until you're debt free to mm -hmm. start putting money away. Right, because you can miss out on the compound interest on that investment. Now, what, mm. what, what's compound so, interest? So. Let's say you have $1,000 invested in something that generates 10%, mm -hmm. right? So 10% of 1,000, right? So you're going to get $100. So now you have 
1,100, yep. right? And then when you make another 10%, now you're making 110. So it just keeps snowballing in your favor. Right. You ever had a credit card balance? Yep. And you see when you open that statement, if you pay the minimum, yeah. you'll have grandkids in college, right? <laughs> yeah, you... man. So it's the same effect. Oh, is uh, <laughs> The compound interest is your enemy when you owe money, yeah. but it's your friend when you're investing. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what gives 10%? What? Uh, there's nothing out there that really gives you 10% fixed. Yeah. There is one thing in the military, yeah, when they get deployed, they have oh, a, a deposit savings account that, that gives you 10% guaranteed up to $10,000. But mm-hmm. outside for a civilian, yeah, there's really nothing else that's guaranteed to give six, you 10%. 6% is pretty much the goal, right? I would say usually when you're making like projections for your retirement things, yeah. work with maybe 6 7%, mm-hmm. more or less. If you're going to invest like in a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio type of thing, just to be on the safe side, right? Because anything say- else... They say Roth IRAs are, what well, I read on the site, but is it eight to thirteen percent? If you if you invest yeah. in stock historically, they have generated that much, you know. But mm-hmm. like when I do projections with people, I don't like to work on what the numbers have done, because if you go on twelve and that's what you need to make it work, and then you get eight, you're gonna have to work a few years more oh, okay. or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'll run a scenario, maybe like six, seven, eight, and say, all right, if these numbers work, then if you get nine mm-hmm. or 10, yeah, you could retire sooner, spend more in retirement, right? So right. it's a happy scenario. <laughs> <laughs> now let's, uh, I want to get your, your personal thoughts on this real quick. Do you think we're, do you think we're headed for a recession anytime soon? I think so right now. I mean, you look at interest rates rising, you have a lot of talk with trade wars with China and things like that. And a lot of market. If you look at the last two days, we've taken quite a, a beating, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah has, trust me. Everything I know. <laughs> so it's hard to tell, you know. Uh, yeah. But I feel like I mean it's inevitable because it goes in cycles, right? Yeah. So you just gotta make sure that whatever you invested in, if it's a long term thing, when that does happen, you don't want to panic and sell at the low end. Uh huh. Yeah. So, for me, since I'm buying a house, what do you? If you have the money, buy or rent, in your opinion. So. If you have the money, it depends on lifestyle because there's been a lot of studies that compare both. And because you're renting, you know, a lot of people sometimes say, oh, if I'm renting, I'm just throwing money away. But not necessarily because if you compare the amount of money that you're saving by not owning something, if you if you actually invest that money, mm. you might be ahead, right? And it's also a matter of lifestyle, right? There's a lot more things that come up with- Like if you're traveling a lot yeah, and whatnot. Home ownership is like you have your mortgage, right? Property taxes, homeowners insurance. If the AC breaks, you have to fix it yourself. Yeah. You can't just call maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that comes into play. But if for those people that are thinking that they have to own something, they don't necessarily have to. You could do very well by renting and, and investing mm-hmm. the difference, right? If you could. So it's just a matter of personal preference. Got it. We actually, have a, we actually have a question. Uh, Ed Diesel wants to know, Mr. Rosa, let's say I have a ten dollars to $15,000 in debt. Do you recommend concentrating on paying off that debt before saving money or should one pay it off slower as one also saves? And I think you kind of just answered that, right? Yeah. So I would look at the overall picture and say, all right, let's say you're a W-2 employee and you have a 401k. Mm-hmm. If there's a match in your 401k, let's not not contribute to your 401k to pay right. that debt, right? Let's at yeah. least take advantage of that match and then whatever else you have left. We send it to the debt. Right. And in the long run, you're looking at, if you're looking at the at the long term of things, then you're ultimately going to be making more money if you do invest in that because you're, because of the 100% contribution or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. If, if uh, 
employer is matching your contribution up to 5% of your pay, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that's 200 bucks. They're going to yeah. put in another 200. So you're automatically getting a hundred percent return. How, how, even if you're an investor, wow. right? How rare is that though? Is it rare for a, for an employer to contribute that high of a percentage? No, it's pretty common. I've seen employers go up to about five, 6% usually of the wow. um, base pay of the employees. Does yours do that? Do you know? If it's five, six percent, and I'm contributing five percent, then yeah. But I haven't. Even, to be honest, I haven't checked. I, Got it. Where Where could someone go to find out? You want to download the plan document. The plan document. Yeah. It'll so tell I, you. I have Vanguard. Yeah. I have Vanguard. So I just go to Vanguard.com, log in, and it, there should be like a plan document. There should be a plan document. Yeah. So it'll tell you the percentage that the employer matches. The other thing you want to look at is the, the vesting period. What that means is. Legally, when is that money yours to keep, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of employers, to give you an example, because they want to retain you as an employee. Mm-hmm. So they use that as a strategy. They might say, look, we're going to contribute up to 5% of your base pay, but that money is not yours until you have five years working here. So we're going to give you 20% per year, mm-hmm. right? 20, 40, 60, right? Whatever. And then once you make the five years, that 100% is yours to keep. So you might see your statement, it says balance 20,000 and you'll see vested balance 16,000. So you know that you haven't been there long enough for that additional four to be yours to keep. So that's one of the things you want to look for in the plan document. What is the vesting period? Mm. Because that might help you also decide if you need to switch employers, you might want to just hold out a little bit longer if you're close enough to that vesting period. So that lot right. of money is yours to keep. Right. Damn, that's so much. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's two types of, of IRAs too, right? There's traditional and Roth. Right. So what, what what's traditional? So traditional is kind of like the 401k. Whatever money you put in there, you're not going to get taxed on today. Mm-hmm. So in essence, it comes off of your taxable income dollar for dollar. So if you make 60000 and you put 5000 in an IRA, you're going to get taxed today on 55000 mm-hmm. right? Which is great, right? Because you're taking $5,000 that you normally would have gotten taxed on and use it as a strategy to lower your taxable income today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then the flip side to that is that when you retire, that money is going to be taxable at whatever tax bracket you're in then. Mm. So you kind of have to figure out, am I going to be in a lower bracket when I retire? A lot of people think that they are, but that's not necessarily the case. So it's a gamble. Yeah, because tax rates could continue to go up, you know. Depending on who the president is. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our (laughs) national debt right now, it's in the trillions of dollars, right? That's got to be paid somehow. Yeah. Right, so they're probably just gonna hit uh-huh. us for it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, I've seen retired couples that are in the same tax bracket or even higher when they retire. Like, I have a you know, a couple that has two pensions and social security each, you know. So, when you add up all that money, it's not a lower bracket than they were when they worked. So, that's one of the things to consider. So, the Roth IRA is the flip side to the traditional where you pay taxes on your money today. You contribute after-tax money, and then it gets to grow tax-free as long as you hold it for five years and you take yeah. it out after 59 and a half. But you can, you, with Roth, you can take out what you've put in, correct? Correct. So your, your ta- contributions are always taxable, uh, tax-free back yeah. to you because you already pay taxes okay. going in. Mm-hmm. The earnings in that could potentially be taxable if you take it out before 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so if you hold it until 59 and a half, you'll have that whole pot of money to take out tax-free. I love looking at that, the calculator. I'm like, ooh, I can make <laughs> $1.5 million? Right. I'm like, Damn. Depending. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Time's right. on your side, right? Yeah. Yeah. The sooner you it's, start, the yeah. better. It's kind of like how they say if you put away, if you save $100, if you save $100 every month for like, I forgot who, it was Dave Ramsey who said $100 a month for 30, 30 years, 35 years or something like that, yeah. like you will end up with like a million dollars. Yeah, and that's you because know? of the compound interest. Compound, compound interest. Yeah, it just snowballs on you. So you, yeah. you make interest on top of the interest. 
which is the opposite when you owe, right? You see that credit card? Yeah. yeah. You, you borrow 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> you end up paying back <laughs> 32. Uh, I have another thing I wanted to ask because there's a lot of people who, who think that keeping money in your savings account is a way of you being able to get money for having money, right? Like right. You, you gain a compound interest or something like that. But is it too low, do you think? For people to consider that as an as a as a as an investment strategy? Yeah, absolutely. As an investment strategy, is it's gonna be too low. Let me give you an example. How much was a gallon of gas in nineteen ninety, roughly? Take a guess. In nineteen ninety, I couldn't yeah. imagine it being more cents. than Yeah, you're man. Yeah. This guy's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's right about a dollar, right? I'm so say a dollar, yeah. Think about this. Let's say my grandfather going back, right? Yeah. He had a dollar in his shoebox. He left there since nineteen ninety and he goes over today and opens up that box. How much does he have in there? Dollar. A dollar. Can right. you buy a gallon of gas today with that dollar? Damn. No. Hell no. Not at all, right? <laughs> if you were to put it in the bank at like a 2% rate, let's say, even on, which is- It's incredibly high. Right. Yeah. Incredibly high, For right? Bank, yeah. <laughs> he still wouldn't have enough. It'd probably be like a dollar 20 something, right? For that long of a time. For yeah. that long of a time. Yeah. And- You would have to have- Billions and millions of dollars for you right. to be able yeah, to, for to, to see make, anything. And even then, even even then, there's way more m places that you can get a higher yeah. return. Yeah, yeah. So when you have money in the bank, ideally, I always tell people you want to have three to six months of whatever your monthly expenses are as reserves mm -hmm. to have immediately accessible for whenever you blow that tire or your engine goes yep. or your HVAC unit in your house. Right. Right. You want it easily accessible, so you don't worry about the interest. But anything above that reserve, you want to put it somewhere to work because right. inflation is going to be the enemy. You're going to basically lose purchasing power in that money. Wait, so, so, so you said Damn, three to six deep. months of expenses saved in your savings account for emergencies. Right. And then outside of that, that's when you can really start thinking about like, okay, now I'm going to put 10,000 into, into this investment. Yeah, because most people, when you look at the U.S., are just like one paycheck away from being in a tragedy. They missed that one paycheck. Oh, yeah. You know, A lot so, of people was like, man, if I don't get my three, six hours extra right. overtime... I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. So imagine somebody that gets laid off and they don't find another job just uh -huh. one month, Yeah. you know, and their expenses were three grand a month. They have to go in debt, right? Borrow money from people right? just to make ends meet. So if you have that three to six months reserve, it'll carry you through that transition uh -huh. period without adding to your debt balance. Right. Mm -hmm. And then once you get the new job, you could always rebuild it. Mm -hmm. So you want to do that at least that three to six months to mm -hmm. give you that cushion. And then anything above and beyond that, you want to put it to work somewhere. That's good to know. And how much should you just all of it, anything you make? past that six months yeah like so you, most of it yeah you'll create the different buckets so it might be like all right i want to buy a house in two years so x amount is going to go into that down yep. payment fund so it's going to probably be a little bit more conservative mm -hmm. than the money i have in my retirement account because mm -hmm. i can take a little bit more risk for money i don't need until i'm 60 right okay what's a a, a third party custodian so do you remember bernie madoff yeah. yeah. Right. Damn, I've heard Wolf of that. Wall Street. Oh, yeah. is, that, is that him? That no, was, no, he wasn't uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. But Bernie Madoff, <laughs> what he did was he, he stole his clients' money, right? That people right. thought they were investing the money. Right. He actually had it in a JP Morgan Chase account. Oh. Like he wasn't even investing the money, right? Right. So a third party custodian is a company that has literally custody of the funds. Like they hold the funds away from the advisor. So for example, if you invest money with me, I use one of the custodians I use is Fidelity and I use Schwab and T D. So your money will be at Fidelity or Schwab or TD, not with me. So right. I don't have actual possession of your money, so I can't steal your money because I'm uh -huh. only allowed to buy or sell within your account. Mm -hmm. But I can't call Fidelity and be like, hey, I you know. 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah, send me Chuck's, you know, $1,000. They Damn. wouldn't do that. Okay. So you want that protection. So when, you, when you're working with a financial planner, if you are going to invest money. Make sure they have yeah. something Yeah, like that. ask them, like, who's your custodian? You know, because if they don't have a custodian, 
then you know <laughs> watch out yo that's a red flag right there for me <laughs> you're gonna get bernie made on no that's hella good to know because i didn't know that right yeah we have a buddy who made a rap song and he, he was talking about big connect being a bernie madoff situation and yeah. big connect was essentially this uh cryptocurrency exchange gotcha. where people would buy that currency that big connect currency and literally they held all of it so like once they got as much money as they wanted they dumped it and everybody was left with their you know if they, if they invested like a thousand they ended up with like 25 cents wow yeah it was bad yeah, yeah. and it was, I think that guy's I don't know if he got arrested or if he that got, has to be like a what is it like when national national uh, crime or some shit oh like that. dude like yeah where? no he's on the I think he, he's not doing well I know for, I know I know his wife recently got yeah that's federal to get yeah, dark to sure. get no no I'm saying like she got hit like oh damn murdered oh uh, yeah <laughs> so somebody's out to get him personally so I don't I don't uh, know that's a dark situation oh, <laughs> don't do that we, we actually we actually have a question from a uh, uh, listener Brenda um, she's from Twitter she comes from Twitter and she asks from a professional standpoint what are your what are some useful tips you've received in regards to saving money hey Brenda so thank you for the question I always recommend so the first thing you want to do is have that three to six months reserve right like we talked about the second thing is if you are a w-2 employee look at your 401k see if your employer matches and if they do then you want to save there first because it's free money right so you want to take advantage of that full match and then anything above and beyond that you want to put into some form of investment your three to six months reserve a lot of times you could use one of those online bank accounts that pay a little bit more interest than your local bank mm -hmm. because they're still fdic insured but they don't have a whole bunch of branches everywhere so they could afford to pay you a little bit more interest right but even that interest is not enough to keep up with inflation so you want to invest it somewhere you know if you don't have a planner for example you just invest open up a brokerage account and buy like an index fund that's invested either based on a, a target risk like 60 40 portfolio like 60 percent stock 40 percent bond let's say depending on how aggressive you want to invest it or pick a target date based on how long you plan on retiring like 2050 things like that mm -hmm. have you ever have you ever heard of websites where you essentially lend out your money uh in groups of people um so like let's say like somebody needs a ten thousand dollar loan you would literally give them like a hundred dollars fifty dollars and it'd be a group of people and then you receive interest on that money. Do, do you advise websites like that? I've heard of those, yeah. I, I don't. I feel like it's a little bit too risky. Uh -huh. You know, and you could probably take a, a better risk somewhere else because you don't know what's like the credibility of that individual behind. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, yeah, cause, because you never meet that person. Right. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, that's that's true. I never thought about that. It's yeah. good for families. Well, no, you can't even trust man. families. <laughs> Be careful, man. Those Hispanics family. Bro. <laughs> Stop putting Hispanics down, bro. From, yeah, I'll stay away from lending money to family. She, she also wanted to ask, what would you recommend for someone who has no knowledge investing IRAs or mutual funds? Are there any local workshops or anything in nature, anything of that nature that you know or recommend? Explain it to me like I'm five years old. <laughs> <laughs> if there are local workshops? Yeah, are there any kind of like local resources or would you just say like, get a financial talk to a financial planner no i would say there are websites there like for example saveandinvest.org Save you can go there it's free and there's just a ton of information there about and it'll be a lot of the basic stuff compound interest iras you just break down pretty much all the financial terms investopedia.com as well has a, a lot of good information on financial literacy in general mm -hmm. so i would start there uh sometimes local libraries might offer some sort of program too but i would start probably going online maybe like saveandinvest.org Use your Something resources, like your so free nice. resources. Yeah, man. for sure. Uh, and then her last question was, I am seeing a lot of my peers cashing out their 401ks when they are in a bind. A lot of times I get tempted. What's your professional advice on cashing out a 401k? Right. So when you cash out a 401k, you're going to pay 
ordinary income tax on that money plus Which, a wait, 10% penalty. How much is the ordinary income yeah. tax? So it depends on your tax bracket, right? Okay. So it, anywhere it, from yeah it's going to vary right depending on how much money you make because ultimately what's going to happen is whatever you make plus the withdrawal on that 401k is going to get combined together at the end of the year okay and that's what you're going to get taxed on and then an additional 10 percent penalty on the amount you withdrew <sighs> so i would recommend if you want to take that money out heavily like consider rolling it over into an ira because that's not a taxable event so you know let's say you had 20 grand in your 401k but you only needed 10 don't take the whole 20 out and put it in the bank because now you created a $20,000 income, right? So do a rollover into an IRA, put the whole 20, right? And then just take out the 10 that you needed. So at least you kind of like minimize the mm -hmm. taxes depending on how much. You, so you only get taxed on the amount you took out. Mm -hmm. Don't just wipe it all out and put it in the bank. Are, are there different situations for cashing out a 401k? Because I recently looked into this uh, and one of the options was you either, you, first of all, a lot of your jobs won't let you straight up cash out your 401k. Like if you've been there less than a certain amount of time, right. what they'll let you do is they'll let you take out a loan against your 401k. Right. So you essentially take out a loan against yourself. So like, let's say you have 10,000 in the, your 401k and you want to cash out the 10,000. They, first of all, a lot of them only let you take out like a half. Yeah. You're going to be limited. To yeah. 50%. You're limited to 50% and then you have to pay yourself that back and they take it out of your paycheck right yeah so with that, interest with interest yeah so with interest that would be a better strategy than just having a hardship withdrawal because when yeah. you do a withdrawal a lot of 401k companies let you do that they, they call it a hardship withdrawal so let's say you came into some hard times or you're buying a house or something they'll let you take the money out but then that might become taxable so if you could do a loan that doesn't become a taxable event and right. you can borrow up to usually 50% of the balance. Wait, so, so if, if you had 10,000 and you were able to cash out 5,000 in a loan, they don't tax that amount that you withdraw? No, they do not. Yeah. It's but considered a loan. But you still pay some sort of fee, right? Yeah. You're going to pay interest on that. It, it's going to vary by the plan, which is typically pretty low, mm -hmm. probably like, you know, maybe 3% at most, depending on the plan. And I think uh, what, when I was on the phone with this person that was talking to me about it, they mentioned that there being a $45 to $90 fee for like the agent who actually helps you out doing right. all that. So that's yeah. always good to consider. Something to consider, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just, another, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I don't even know if my job has a 401k. <laughs> like, how do you check I'm for that? I'm pretty sure you do. Do I? Yeah, I, I would talk I to. I don't know. Talk to you. Yeah, ask uh, him. I ask HR for the benefits package, and they'll, they usually, you know, when they give you like your health care insurance and yeah. all that, they'll. Tell Can you, you see it on your check though? Will it say it on your check? It only your if stubs, you're or? contributing already to it. Then you'll see like the deduction when you look at the deduction section. You see, uh -huh. do you actually get a pay stub from your job? Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. I don't, I don't even remember. I don't remember. Because I know like for my, for my job, there's a website I can go to, Paylocity, yeah. um, and I can log in and I can see the gross income that you make for that month. And then they show you how much they take out for taxes, uh, retirement and all that stuff. Let me right. see. Yeah. You guys keep talking. I'm yeah. Yeah. Look at the plan. Document. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck finds out he got $60,000. in his Imagine life. that. He'll be ending <laughs> the podcast a little sooner. <laughs> I'll be right back. Uh, okay. So, um, so there, do you have any tips for people out there? Yeah. I mean, one thing I always tell people, everybody has the B word, right? Budget. Like Ugh. everybody hates the word budget. It's you the know, worst B word there is. Yeah. People <laughs> like the word budget as much as they like the word diet, right? You've uh, the choir, man. <laughs> I love budgeting. <laughs> but here's the thing. A budget doesn't mean that you have to be restricted, right? Yeah. Like the U.S. government has a multi-billion dollar budget, right? So it's just a matter of allocating your funds. So one of the things I always tell people is pay yourself first, mm -hmm. right? So do that, say minimum 10% of your income, then pay your bills and everything else with the difference, right? The second thing is allocate your funds based on things that aren't necessarily bills. So create a bucket, if you would, 
for everything that, you know, let's say people buy holiday gifts, vacations and things, you know, they're not bills, but they usually keep up on you. And then you don't want to wait till November to figure out, oh, oh I got to yeah. buy some Christmas gifts, right? <laughs> so if you know that you're going to spend 3000 a year on vacations, you want to spend, you know, maybe 250 a month into a separate savings account that's going to be kind of like your fun fund. Mm-hmm. And you're going to just act like that was a bill and have it automatically come out of your bank account yeah. and just throw it in there. That way it doesn't creep up on you. That's the first thing. Just make sure you want to uh, allocate your funds that way, right? The second thing I do, which is going back to the Dave Ramsey question you had before, was uh-huh. one of the things I do agree with him about is the envelope system, where you take money out for cer- certain like expenses, let's say miscellaneous expenses for yourself, personal allowance for just like hanging out on the weekend, grabbing drinks, whatever, mm-hmm. because you can't overspend physical money, right? If I give myself $75 allowance, and I run out of it by Thursday, then that's it. I'm out. But if I have my debit card, yeah, you I, I'm just going to, you know, if I if I wanted to spend $50 in dinner, you know, and it's 65, I'm still going to give him that plastic anyway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you have physical cash, you might be like, hey, you know what? I won't have the second drink. Or I might skip dessert, whatever, right? And guess what? You're also going to give him an extra 20%. <laughs> right. Instead of the 15%, you're going to give him 20, 22%. Do right? they have bank accounts where you, it's locked and you can't touch it? Or is I that just, think, that's know. risky? <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do, let's say, like a certificate of deposit, a CD, uh-huh. where they, they kind of lock up your money for a certain period, and then they give you a higher interest rate than you would have on a regular bank account as mm-hmm. a result, because you're locking in your money. So you could do like a 12-month CD, but you still do have access to it, though. They're just going to hit you with a penalty. So you have kind of like deterrent. So the oh. penalty, yeah, so mm-hmm. it kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You could just put it in a CD, put it aside. But then, you know, if you do touch it, you're gonna yeah, get yeah, hit. <laughs> you're gonna lose some money. Yeah, yeah. that's good to know. Though. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and then also de- debt wise, you said don't don't wait till you're debt free. Yeah, don't wait till you're debt free because if you have credit cards and student loans, I mean that might be eight years, right? Especially those people that have student loans. Usually those student loans are on a ten year repayment plan. Oh, you don't want to wait ten years to then start putting money away for retirement, right? So start small, even if it's you know fifty bucks a month, whatever it is. Yeah, don't wait till you're debt free. Mm-hmm. To start investing, well, what's a good uh, what what what's some good advice you would give to somebody who who is looking to consolidate their student loans? Like, where 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 do they go to do something like that? So, I would do uh, studentaid.gov. They usually have a good feature where, if you have, let's say, government loans, you can mm-hmm. log in there and it'll tell you the different payment options for all your student loans. If you were to consolidate them, there are options based on your income. So, if you make less money, it's gonna give you a lesser payment income based repayment. yeah there's one that's graduated payment so you pay a little less now and it just gradually goes up every couple of years yeah and then there's like a fixed term so i would go i would start there first yeah there's a now you you can't consolidate loans different types of loans right like let's say you have regular student loans but then you also have parent plus you can't combine those right yeah if you you could if you let's say you did a uh, personal loan at a bank mm-hmm you can just do a debt consolidation loan. You could have multiple different kinds of debts, car loans, credit cards, and stuff. But most of the time, a bank is not going to give you too much money in a personal loan because the debt is unsecured, you know, meaning that there's nothing back in it that they could take away from you if you default. Yeah. So you, you can't get like a $100,000 personal loan because, ah, damn it. yeah, if you default, <laughs> there's nothing to come after, right? Except yeah. maybe your paycheck. Yeah. So, <laughs> Wait, do, do, do they still do that? If you don't, if you don't pay your student loans, do they still... Uh... Uh, how, what's the word for it? They uh, they take money out of your. Oh pay. yeah, what, what is that called? They're gonna garnish your garnish pay. your wages. Uh, a lot of the times, also the the other thing they could do is garnish your tax refund. 
Ooh, so yeah. if you owe money, and, I've heard of that happening. when yeah. somebody goes bankrupt. Yeah, and if you owe, yeah, you can't get rid of student loans, not even in bankruptcy. So unless you die. Yeah, <laughs> and even then they're gonna look for the next. Yeah, closest. they're gonna be like. Yeah. So you could. Who else has your DNA? Right. <laughs> That's so you could crazy. potentially forfeit either your your pay or your actual tax refund if you fall behind. So you're better off negotiating something, even if it's fifty bucks a month, just so that keep them yeah. off your back until you can fix the situation. Now you had some advice as far as uh, your tax refund. Uh, being smarter with your tax refund. What yeah. advice did you have? So let's say that if you're getting a huge refund at the end of the year, right? What's huge? Like, let's say you're getting $10,000 at the Damn. end of the year. Do right? people get that much? Yeah, there's, there's some people that do get that much. People yeah, who right. make eight twenty five an hour and yeah. have 10 I mean, kids. <laughs> you know, I, I'm from New York. So yeah, coming from New York, yeah, there were people that, that were getting that type of refund, right? Because oh, wow. the taxes are very high. And yeah, at that point, right. before these tax changes, you were able to like deduct mortgage interest and stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting a big refund like that, one of the things that I always tell people, if you think about it, you're giving the government an interest-free loan because that refund is money that was taken out of your paycheck for the most part during the year and that you're just getting it back, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like the government is giving you money. They're just giving you your money back that they overwithheld from your paycheck. So yeah. if you have a big refund like that and you have other debts or the goals, you might want to consider maybe raising your allowances on your paycheck so that they withhold less taxes and you get more take-home and you get lesser of a refund at the end of the year, but then you have the extra money per paycheck that you could use towards like paying that off instead of waiting for that big chunk of money. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. I never yeah, thought about smart, that. Smart. But you know, some people might need that refund because it's for savings. Because right. some people might not they, be able to- they, they, they don't have that many expenses during during the year, but there's kind of like a vacation fund or something. Right. Or they are big splurge fund or something like right. that. Okay. That, that that makes sense. It's kind of cool how you can tackle financials. It's like it's basically up to the person and their personality. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Things. It's customized to the individual. <laughs> so I, I was going to say one thing. You, I can write off my house, correct? So yeah, that's a good question. So under current law, right, you can still deduct your mortgage interest. Uh, and let me tell you a little bit what what a deduction is. Uh huh. Right. So a deduction is literally money that comes off of what you make to arrive at your taxable income. So for example, let's say that you make $60,000 a year yeah. and you had $5,000 worth of tax write-offs, right? So that $5,000 deduction comes off of your $60,000 taxable income. For example, contribution to an IRA, right? Or a 401k. That's going to be a deduction from that 60. So if I contribute 10 grand to my 401k and I make 60, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna get paid on a tax on 50 because I contributed 10,000. So that oh. it gets deducted from my income. That's what wow. a deduction is, right? So the more you contribute, the less you get taxed. Exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. Okay. So right now, if you're contributing to a 401k, you could do up to eighteen thousand five hundred if you're under age fifty per year. And That's a lot. Yeah. So if you do that, you like, let's say a couple can do if they're able to do it, eighteen five each. You're talking about thirty seven thousand okay. dollars that they could just yeah. not get taxed on today. Yeah. Right. Well, going back to your question. There's something called a standard deduction. Mm -hmm. So the government automatically, let's say for a married couple, just to give you an example, a married couple can take off $24,000 of their taxable income off the bat. That's on the house. What? Standard deduction. So $24,000, you don't have to pay. Now, if you have deductions like mortgage interest and property taxes that add up to more than that $24,000, you can do what's called itemizing your deductions. So let's say you contributed, to, let's say you had... 20,000 in mortgage interest, 5,000 in property taxes, that's 25, and you donated 5,000 to charity, that's $30,000. That you can take off from your taxable income as mm -hmm. opposed to the standard deduction. So you can you get to take whatever number is bigger. But now with the new tax laws, let's say married couples, 24,000, a lot of people, especially like here, 
you might not reach the $24,000 figure with your mortgage taxes and property, you know, so you might end up being 18,000 with your mortgage interest and property taxes, then you just take the standard deduction instead. Mm -hmm. So your mortgage interest could potentially be deductible as long as it's bigger than your standard deduction. And then you would just itemize. Damn, I'm going to be listening to this podcast yeah. over and over again, man. <laughs> I mean, hit me up, man. So I'll just say hit so you yeah, up, bro. No, yeah, definitely, yeah. I need help. Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be recommending people to you because this is a lot of information that I feel is lacking out there, man. Definitely. Um, and one know. thing, too, um, do you direct, like, so do you do CPA work or would you direct somebody? Yeah, so I have, uh, it's called an enrolled agent certification. Mm -hmm. It's an IRS certification that allows me to pretty much act just like a CPA or a tax attorney would. I could even represent people before the IRS. Not my favorite kind of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I do it for some clients, but usually, yeah, I, I work with other like CPAs and attorneys uh -huh. because also you have to think about, I, I can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so sure. I, I want to have my niche focus. All right, let's save money and, you know, talk to this guy or here's three numbers of CPAs that you can call. Right. Um, okay. So it's something to consider too. A lot of financial advisors usually have somebody that they can refer if you don't already have somebody. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing too. <laughs> You do so. Do you have to be? Because uh, you can't just go on the internet and sign up for a mutual fund, right? You have to go through somebody who's licensed, or no, not necessarily. You can open up a brokerage account. Yeah, so you can go to like, let's say, like E Trade, Fidelity, whatever. Better uh -huh. just go sign about, up. How about Betterment? Yeah, Betterment. Betterment.com. Yeah. Betterment. You can go to Betterment.com. Uh -huh. And Betterment has a lot of good products too because they have a lot of those index fund based, yeah. very low fees. Yeah. And they also rebalance automatically and all that, so you don't have to be like super savvy. And they take all the guesswork out of it for you. So I, that's a good place to start, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good yeah. to know. Yeah, and you could just do it online. But they, what what about a Roth? Like, if I want to start one. Yeah, Betterman has a Roth yeah, IRA. Betterman has Roth, too. Oh, so. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, okay. so they have an iPhone app. Yeah, you, you yeah, can invest yeah. your money the same exact way in a traditional IRA, a Roth, or a brokerage account. The only thing that changes is the taxation of it based on how you title, right? So whether it's a Roth, traditional, mm -hmm. or a joint, or a regular after-tax account, you can invest in the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, like a place like Betterment, you can go there uh -huh. and open up a, a Roth or a traditional or just a regular brokerage account. Yeah. Now, you, you had mentioned maxing out your, uh, your what's it called? Your, your Roth? Roth IRA every year. Yeah, so think about think about it this way. Right now, the government gives you the ability to put up to 5,500. Yep. And then after age 50, you could do 6,500. 65. Uh, there are some income limitations. Like if you're married, after you make 189,000, it starts phasing out. But if you're under those rules... If you max out the 5500 I mean, just think about the fact that one day you're going to have this big lump sum that you could just withdraw money without paying any taxes on. So do you want to pay taxes on the seed or do you want to pay taxes on the harvest? If you think about it this way. So I'd rather pay taxes on the 5500 as it comes out slowly in my paycheck and then just let that ride for the rest of my yeah. life. Mm -hmm. You know, hold it till 59 and a half for and sure. it'll be all tax free. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. This is my goal to do that is start the Roth IRA and just put in the full amount yeah. per month. So so then somebody should do the math of like based on how much they get paid, you multiply that by how many times you get paid in a year. And if that adds up to 5,500, then you're good? Yeah, you could do it systematically. You could do a one-time contribution. You can do several. So there's no limit. You don't have to set it up to come out per paycheck. Uh -huh. And the good thing to know about it too is that the IRS gives you until the tax deadline on to contribute for the prior year. So for example, you're going to have until April 15, 2019 mm. to contribute towards a, a Roth in 2018. So, so if you get your tax refund in January, February, you can contribute that lump sum right. to, your, to your Roth. Was it your Roth IRA? Yeah, exactly. And well, you it, can, and or your regular IRA too, your traditional. Right. And it'll be charged, uh, you'll get the same amount 
as if you did at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the tax period? No, okay. because it, the investment is going to be different based on when you put the money Got in, it. right? So okay. if you wait till the end of the year or tax year, you miss out on that compound interest, right? So uh, ideally, you do want to invest it ahead of time. But there are times when you don't know if you could afford to contribute yeah, to true. one, especially if you're self-employed, right? Yeah. You want to figure out how much taxes you owe and all that. And then, but that is a good option where you wait until the end of the year and figure out, all right, I, I can max it out. And then you could just tell the, let's say the custodian, whether it's Betterman or whoever, make this a 2018 contribution. So that's the oh, way I'll go about it. See, this is all the stuff I'm learning. Because I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to do month to month or just go in like put in 3000 and then just go month to month or put in 2000 go month to month or just put the whole 55 yeah, you, in. Yeah, you could do it however you want. Yeah, there's no restrictions on how much you should do. You, you could do it all in one shot. Yeah, a lot of people just wait till tax time and just send the whole 55. Or some people just do like, one of the things I, I have some of my clients do, for example, mm -hmm. if they could afford to, I have them do 500 a month from January through November. And that's the 5,500 right there. And in December, that 500 they use for like Christmas gifts or something. Mm -hmm. So they're used to that 500 already coming out. So right. it doesn't affect their lifestyle. Huh, it's pretty smart. That's so tight. <laughs> 500 a month from January to November. Right, that's yeah. 55 right there. And then the December withdrawal, let's say December 1st, you use that for Christmas or whatever. Yeah. How do you feel about apps like uh, TurboTax or like those services? Yeah, those are good. I feel like, you know, if you have just like a, a straight up W-2 job, you could do well with a TurboTax. You yeah. Know, it's pretty user friendly. Right. And but if you're doing a lot of investing, if you're doing a lot of uh, uh, donations and things like that, things that you could have tax deductible or written off, that, then you would advise talking to a financial planner about something. Yeah, or a tax professional, CPA tax, or something, yeah. enrolled right. agent. Yeah, because right. it, the the app for TurboTax, you, you're not getting the actual advice, right? It's just like right. enter this in this box, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that you might miss out on, like you know, knowing when the deadline is for a Roth or something. Maybe it right. won't tell you that, right? So if you have a lot of investments or uh, properties, things of that sort, I would recommend at least talking to a CPA or an enrolled agent or a financial advisor. Do do you think do you think property is like one of the best investments you can make? You can do well with property too, but there's gonna be risk in everything, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you a lot of people put their money into a re, let's say instead of a retirement account, they'll buy a property uh -huh. with the possibility of that property going up over time, just like the stock market would, right? And maybe generating some income in, in the meantime from a tenant. But the market could go down, especially here. That you guys remember 08? Yes. Right? You, your property is not necessarily going to go up in value all the time. Oh. Or what if you miss a tenant, right? They just move out and you take three months to put somebody back in there. Yeah. Now you have three months that you have to pay that mortgage, right? So there's going to be risk and everything. But yeah, you could do very well doing real estate investment. That's one way you could diversify your portfolio. So it's you the have... poor man's best investment, <laughs> you know, because most people can do it. We, we had somebody ask on Instagram, best tip to buying a house, when to start saving, how much to save so you don't need... I don't understand that's part of this question. Right. At need add depend on rooms. Got it. Yeah, like I think I know. Roommates okay. like boarding. Yeah, I think oh, I know okay, that's mean. okay. Yeah, so they oh, don't have to like rent on out the roommates. rooms. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so one thing I usually have my clients do is let's say we we figure out how much they could afford, right, or mm -hmm. or how much of a house they want to buy, and what I have them do is practice paying the difference between their rent and what their mortgage payment is going to be. Right. So let's say you're renting right now and you rent a thousand dollars and your mortgage is going to be fifteen hundred. I would say let's save that $500 difference and act as if we have that mortgage today before you commit to it, right? Proof of concept. Yeah. And if you do that for a year or two, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to prove to yourself that you could do it, right? So you'll know what it's like to have less 
money oh, every month wow. mm-hmm. and number two if you did let's say 500 a month every year six thousand dollars so yep. by year two you have your down payment money right there or your closing sure. costs, right mm-hmm. um sometimes people can qualify for more than they could afford because when you go to a bank and they run your credit to see if you qualify for a house they're only going to use your gross income before taxes right and they're going to count against you only the minimum payments on your credit report mm-hmm. so they don't take into account your child care and things that don't come up on your report mm-hmm. so i always tell people be careful with that because you could qualify for more of a home that you could actually afford. So just because the bank says, hey, you're pre-approved for 300K, doesn't mean that you should go you out should and buy it. You should get a house that's 300K. Yeah. 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 Smart. Smart advice <laughs> yeah. there. Um, is there, is there a, um, a certain amount that somebody should have in the bank before even thinking about buying a home? Is there, should they have at least like five, ten thousand 10,000 ready to go? Cushion or, you know. Yeah. And that goes again with that three to six month cushion. So mm-hmm. whatever the mortgage is going to be plus your other bills, yeah. make sure you have three to six months in there. Because right now there are programs that you can buy a house with little to no money down. Which is a right? what? Like the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA loan, yep. for example. Or if you're in the military, you could do the VA loan. You could buy a house with no money down. A civilian could do it with 3.5% down, which is not a lot. And some states like Nevada have a down payment assistance program where yeah. they'll mm-hmm. give you up to like 5,000, 5% yeah. of the, the home cost. So you could get into a house really with no money down. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should, you right? You should, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that Ramsey's always talking about is uh, um, if, you, if you're in debt or if you're broke, you shouldn't be buying a house because it's only going to put you more in debt and make you more broke. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you want to make sure that the only bills are the mortgage and your regular utilities. You don't want to go into the house and have a ton of other debt on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I always preach too is like you can't really you can't really help other people until you help yourself. Right. So it's like you you need to make sure that you're good. As far as like your finances go, before you even start like giving other people money, you know, Absolutely, I mean? like take yeah. care of yourself first, so that, that way when you do help other people, you're not like, oh crap, I could have used that, you know, yeah. two hundred dollars or whatever it was. That's a good point. You want to give from a precision of strength. Yeah, for sure. I like your whole your whole. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to? Was it pay taxes on the seed of the harvest? Right. I never thought about it that. Yeah, because yeah. think about it. You know, when I I always use this extreme example. Yeah. With people, I say, look, if today you gave me an option to have a million dollars in an IRA. Or 700000 in a Roth, and I had to take them both out, right? Which one would I choose? And I tell people, I'll take the 700000 And a lot of people are like, why would you take 700000 over a million, right? But let's say I were to take that million-dollar IRA out today, yeah. right? That's going to put me in a very high tax bracket. I'm going to pay at least half of that in taxes, <laughs> right? So it's going to put me down to five hundred k. Yeah. I'm going to pay a 10% penalty because I'm not 59 and a half, so that's another $100,000. Yeah. So now that million is down oh. to four hundred. And if I live in a state that has state tax, like California, for example, I'm going to pay another 10, 13%, right? Depending on the state. So that million dollars could be like 450 when it's all said and done. Yeah. Right? With that $700,000 Roth, if it's mostly all my contributions, they're going to be tax free, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's an extreme example. You know, nobody would probably just cash out a yeah. million dollar IRA. Yeah. But I use that just to illustrate the point. That's smart. Wow. I, so one of my last questions is Is there a certain amount? of expenses like for example when you're buying a house and you're looking at mortgage and how much it's going to cost is there a certain amount of your actual income that you should be spending on your mortgage like let's say you make a certain amount what percentage of that should go to, to go to your mortgage or to rent yeah on housing usually like to, just to give you an example when the banks qualify you they usually don't want more than about like 41 percent of your gross income mm-hmm. to go towards your debt you okay. know so they'll take uh, based on your growth before taxes, but that's usually the formula that's used because anything over that, you're probably going to be overextended. Most of your 
regular expenses, including your mortgage, shouldn't exceed about 70% of your income. And then you have maybe like another 20% for like car loans and credit cards to service debt mm -hmm. and save the other 10. Usually rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you want to make sure that that's why I always have people like do that exercise where they could just save the difference between the mortgage and the new uh, you know, the current rent versus the new mortgage. Yeah. Just to see if they could really do it. Yeah. You should do like a micro version of that where I would, I wouldn't necessarily do that to that extent, but I would be like, I, have you ever heard of this app called acorns? Yes. Yeah. Where Rounding you would basically up. round it up to yeah, the next dollar yeah. and then would take that money. Like next thing you know, I had like two or $300. Yeah. Like, Whoa. yeah. Never even realized it was getting taken out like 25 cents here, you know, 60 cents yeah, there. Bank of America did that. And I was like, oh, damn. Like before you know it, your savings yeah. account has Those, like those apps bucks. are good. You know, yeah. I always recommend those because you can always set rules for yourself and say, all right, round up. You know, if I spend 480, then just make it five and put that 20 cents into the savings account. Mm -hmm. And little by little, it's going to add up. Absolutely. So you could use apps like Acorn to at least get started. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have a whole bunch of money to, to start. Yeah, for sure. You could just start literally a penny, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more questions, Chuck? No, that was... Oh, uh, how do you feel about car? Car debt? Oh, man. Or buying a car? <laughs> Purchasing a new car or should you just get a used car? Yeah, well, normally, if you look at how much value a car loses after oh, yeah. you bought it, yeah, right? Like, I could probably get a three-year-old BMW right now, mm -hmm. probably cheaper than a new Honda. Yeah. Right? If you look at it. Yeah. Right? So, I financially, it's usually better to just buy like a certified pre-owned, right? Right. And then hold it for a long time, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things I always have my clients do is usually have, when they buy the car, have a hypothetical car payment. Mm -hmm. So that way, let's say you finance a car for four years, you're done paying it off, but you still keep making that payment, quote unquote, into an account so that the next car you just buy cash, right? Right. But it's also a matter of lifestyle. You know, I know a lot of people that might be self-employed, depending on their business, they might need a nicer car to impress clients or whatever. Yeah. So I'll be like, all right, you know, you're going to do a lease, but realizing that the lease is not necessarily the best option because you're, it's a long-term rental, right? You're not going to own anything. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of decisions aren't made necessarily based on dollars and cents, but yeah. financially, yeah, you're better off just owning instead of leasing. Did you know that when you lease a car, you're, you're not only paying for, for what it, what it's costing them to take back the car but you're I mean, you're paying so you're paying the price of the car of what the retail would be for it but then you're also paying for the amount of depreciation in yeah the car so when you give it back to the dealership they're actually making money off of that lease yeah you're paying yeah. for the depreciation basically yeah and and a lot of places too when you return it they might hit you off for some fees too if you have a little like mix here and there oh yeah if you went over, over miles and miles yeah yeah so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not the most sound yeah. financial decision yeah i always yeah. say like a car is always it's 90 percent of the time i feel is like a emotional thing yeah people do it because they want to have that car yeah a car is really not an investment unless you had one of those classics yeah. right yeah. it's it loses value immediately after you drive it off the lot yeah you throw money at it every single month now can we let people <laughs> know how much value it loses I, I think I heard it like a term where it's like in the first four years, it loses 60 something percent of its Remember, value. It loses its value right, it go, right as it goes off the lot. It yeah. loses value. It's big, oh, really? yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. You can go to like the kellybluebook.com yeah. and you'll see like the value of cars. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's just not, it's not really an investment. Well, yeah, but the, mo the moment you take it home, it's a used car. Right. <laughs> Literally. You can bring it back. It. Yeah, second day. You can have it for a week. It's a used car. You can put a new engine in you, it. You it's have, a used if car. If somebody else wanted to buy that, they'd buy a certified pre-owned. Right. You think about it. Yeah. So, the <laughs> only way you can make money on a car is if you keep it for like 
80 years and it but becomes then, a classic car but even then i, oh, w- yeah. I was telling you like you never know which cars are going to become the classic cars right that's true <laughs> you're you're risking it you're know, like people who had cars back in the day they look at beetles like they're, they're not worth what uh you know 1965 cadillac or whatever right. those classic cars are they're not worth the same they didn't, they, they didn't appreciate in <laughs> right. the same way so just age doesn't really do anything it's you know it's kind of yeah that's I mean, right the, the model right. t is like a million dollars or something like that you with know with the tesla like no, the Model T, oh, the Fours, and like that's the, the Ford. original oh, that's one. the 1920s. That what like, you have in the garage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, man. Yeah, that'd be an investment. So, a hundred years, you gotta wait on your car, and then it becomes right. an investment. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, th- I think that kind of just wraps it up for me yeah, as far as sure. questions go, man. Mm-hmm. You really helped answer a lot of oh, questions, thank you. and uh, I think a lot of people are gonna get a lot of good advice from this. Uh, it's going to help a lot of people. We're going to go ahead and put all your information in the description for the video, for uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Do you want to let people know where they can find you or get more information from you if they wanted to? Yeah, sure. You just go to buildabetterfinancialfuture.com, and that's my website. You'll be able to schedule a, co- a complimentary consultation if you want to, and mm-hmm. we can just talk and see if I can help you out. There you go. You guys heard it here first. Cool. All right. Thanks thank you guys so for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys on the next morning dinner. Later, y'all. Every time I come in the kitchen, you in the kitchen. In the goddamn refrigerator. I sure am hungry.